Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good sporting cultures, three or four things consistently happen. They take the time to agree what their code of conduct and behaviours are going to be. That's the first thing. They create a culture around feedback and review where they go hard on the issue but soft on the person. It's not personal. Uh, It's not unpleasant. It's just making the individual and the team better. Rugby Coach Weekly presents The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root, cut out the fluff, and challenge the masters of their domain to cut to the chase. Welcome to The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root of the matter. In this episode, we speak to Ben Fennell, CEO and founder of The Growth House. Focusing on team development, we're going to cut to the root on how to pack your team with difference and forge togetherness. Ben, are you ready for the knife? Let's go. I'm tired of mumbo-jumbo activities myself that seem to surround team building. What really works? in plain terms? I think of all the teams I've studied, and I, the beauty of writing the book that I wrote with Will is we went around the world, really, on Zoom, interviewing fascinating individuals and coaches from all walks of life, the military, sport, creative industries. And there were two or three characteristics that cropped up again and again and again in every elite team we looked to. And the first was they took the time to codify, write down, agree what their standards and what their behaviours were going to be. Okay, so so when you say codify, I mean, that sounds very complicated and involved. So if, if you and I were sitting down with a team, I would be asking that team to say, what are the things that matter to us? How do we feel about punctuality? How do we feel about wearing the same kit? How do we feel about letting each other know when we're sick or injured or unavailable, how do we feel about telling the truth? So we would take. But isn't, that, but isn't the answer to that always uh, now we should do? Isn't that almost uh, leading leading yourself to say these are the values we need? Yeah, I think if you come from a sporting background, some of the things that I work with companies uh, and some of the behaviors I try to get with companies might seem incredibly straightforward to you. If you spend your life with athletes who understand what a review is, who understand feedback, who understand a high conflict environment, then this might seem like stating the bleeding obvious, but it just isn't in business. It isn't in organizations telling people that they're getting feedback, not because we don't like them, but because we want them to be better is news. If you've grown up in a sporting background, you do a video session on a Monday and you get shown what could, what went wrong and what could be better. That's just not the case in business often. So, but it is the case in sport. I think in good sporting cultures, three or four things consistently happen. They take the time to agree what their code of conduct and behaviours are going to be. That's the first thing. They create a culture around feedback and review where they go hard on the issue, but soft on the person. It's not personal. Uh, it's not unpleasant. It's just making the individual and the team better. Uh, and the point you made right at the beginning, which is the core thesis of the whole book, 
they pack that team with difference, difference of every form. Rugby, I think, is the greatest game in the world for, for celebrating difference. You just go down the national anthem of a, an international game and the camera will be moving up and down for every different body shape there is. But just having difference isn't enough. You've got to then forge togetherness, a sense of the values, behaviours and ambitions that unite and bind you together. Difference is going to be a difficult thing to deal with because not everyone's going to agree. So you let's say you'd ask those four questions immediately. Everyone would suggest that punctuality was good, but not everyone would uh, agree on some of the other areas. How are you going to find some togetherness when they're not going to agree? Well, so everyone might agree that being punctual uh, is the right thing to do, but they might not agree on what to do for, with someone who consistently turns up late, particularly mm. if they're one of our best players. Mm. Uh, and these are the critical things that as a team, we have to agree. There's no Give me one... examples of what uh, what then the, the best teams do to deal with that, because it does happen all the time. We know that. Yeah, a code of conduct has no value at all if there aren't some red lines. You know, if you consistently turn up late and the team, the tribe says punctuality matters and there are no consequences to turning up late, then sure enough, uh, bit by bit, no one will be. There's a, there's an expression they use in the military that I like very much, which is you get the standards you tolerate. Now, great cultures, I would say, uh, and this is a Delalio quote, actually, great, great teams are coach led, but player driven. So I would argue the coach may play a role in articulating the standards and the values and the code of conduct, but it will be the team that has to police it. It will be the team that has to call each other out. And I would argue those things have to have some consequences. Three times late for the team bus and you don't get picked. There should be simple rules. Now, when you're developing these teams, I know you're very keen to avoid some of the activities that you feel don't necessarily make a difference. Hence why I asked about the mumbo-jumbo part of it. Yeah, I think the world of team building, uh, and it's now kind of my world, so I say this slightly sheepishly, uh, is full of a lot of mumbo-jumbo, a lot of awful exercises, and a few charlatans who make you build rafts and do trust falls off tables. And I think at the Growth House, we pride ourselves on doing none of those things. They're meant to relax you and they I think do the absolute opposite but what we do absolutely do is urge people early on to check in to talk about how they're turning up to talk about what they're excited about or what they might be nervous about and we do that because high quality teams signal to each other signaling is a really important behavior Okay, so I'm very interested in this check-in signalling. What would that look like? So we're, we're, we're thinking about in a sports situation, some of these things happen naturally. How would this happen regularly to make it be effective for a team? So in a, in a business context, let's say we have an hour-long meeting together. It's a, a weekly status. I would give 10 minutes of that hour-long meeting for a 10-person for a team to take a minute each to check in. How am I... How am I feeling? What am I worried about? What am I excited about? Uh, and it might just be two or three quick questions. And teams that get good at this, literally one minute is all you need. And you might whistle around the table. Uh, and teams that get good, it might even become a hand signal. I'm very good. Give my time to someone else. Or I'm not very good. I don't really want to talk about it. But be careful with me this week because i got some stuff going on. I don't really want to 
go into or share, but be careful. Or I do want to share and I do want to tell you, but signaling to our teammates is a really important skill. And if you've got 60 minutes for the meeting, spending 10 minutes on us, on how we are and how we're turning up is time very well spent. Now, I I would be nervous in those situations that I would be saying something which would uh, reduce my status in the team. If I've got my boss in there, they want to be making sure that I'm going to work hard for them this week. Now, if I've spent the last five weeks signaling that I'm not very happy, is there is there a danger that I might not want to say it again than the week after? Or is are, are, are there some possible problems with that which we can find ways to overcome? That's a great question, because there's still lots of stigma in the workplace. And I think in any environment around not wanting to show vulnerability and look weak. And as with all things, the leader sets the tone there. So if the leader goes and shows some vulnerability, uh, then people will follow them. If the leader doesn't and makes out their bulletproof, invincible, never have any problems or anxiety, then also the team will mirror and will be reluctant to share so the first point is that the leader needs to set the tone. The second point is a good teammate mainly brings positive energy, positive updates, positive ideas, but they are allowed. It's within the core concept of a team on the days they're not feeling it to share that. Sometimes I lean on my teammates. If you have teammates who are taking much more than they're giving, if nine times out of 10, they're turning up with bad energy and making demands on the team and taking a lot more than they're giving, then I think you have to really question whether they've got the whole teamship contract right or not. And we've probably all worked or been in teams with people who took more than they gave. But I do think the beautiful thing about a team is that we should lead and contribute when we're feeling strong. But when we're not, we get to lean on our teammates absolutely in the knowledge that we know that we'll be there for them too when it comes around the other way. Coaches were listening and saying, All right, I like this idea, we'll we'll check in. You can't just say, right, uh, next Monday we're going to do a check-in, just give me a minute on how you're feeling. What would you suggest to a coach to start that process to make it uh, more valuable and uh, richer and more authentic? Yeah, so I know, uh, I think it's the Crusaders have a very simple fist pump. And the fist pump means I'm out on the training pitch, my devices are off, I look you in the eye, we touch fists, uh, I see you, I'm present, and we are ready to get to work. So it's a highly accelerated version, but it's just saying I'm connecting with every single one of you before we start our work. I see you, I'm here and I'm ready to go. So everybody Um, fist pumps everybody else. Exactly that. We're going to take a moment. Other teams do it with their clap, don't they? They do a, a clap in unison to show we're ready to get to work. We're flicking a switch from individual warm-up, prep, strappings, whatever, to our time of working with each other uh, and being respectful of each other's time. I would argue, though, uh, in the changing room before you go out, not every week, but once a month, once a quarter, I think you could dedicate 10 minutes. We're going out 10 minutes late tonight, lads, because I want to just check in how you're all doing. Now, you might get people looking at their boots and going, what the hell's going on here? But you might brief someone to go first. And again, in any team environment, we tend to spend our time focusing on it, on the mission, on the game plan, on the strategy. And we often neglect us, the people, the individuals. 
And just every now and again, making sure that we create the space to check in on people, to signal to each other is time very well spent, particularly amongst men. We are not fantastic communicators as a rule. Just think about how we talk to our mates, people we know best. I'm always amazed we can spend a full weekend with my best mates, get back and my wife will ask me how they are. I won't have a clue. I won't have a clue how they are. Uh, I'll know what's going on in the rugby or a few new jokes, but good teams connect with each other. They signal, they connect and they check in. What's uh, what's a sign of togetherness? I mean, again, it sounds like one of those words which could be uh, slightly slipping towards the mumbo jumbo-ness, but obviously it's a very powerful word. What are the signs of it? And apart from this checking in and uh, express expressing your feelings, how else can we develop it? Yeah, so I think we start off with simple optics. We wear the same kit. I work with a, I work with Kate Richardson Walsh, the brilliant Team GB uh, hockey captain who won it, won gold in Brazil. One of their core values was we wear the same kit, just meaning uh, irrespective of where we come from and what goes on off the pitch, the detail, the optics matter. We're on time. We wear the same kit. So there's that more superficial level of togetherness. I think when we get a bit deeper. We have each other's backs. If a teammate asks for help, we'll be there for each other. And we've all, again, played against teams who had far better names on the team sheet, but were clearly not together. We have a shared mindset. What's a defensive system? A defensive system is not trying to do my teammate's job because I have confidence in him or her to do theirs. The minute I start moving into their channel uh, to do their job, I'm going to open up a massive great gap in mine. So... The togetherness of trust, of really trusting each other and trust is built and it's built over time. And then finally, I would argue the final piece of or the the scaffolding for for uh, for togetherness are, are things like codes of conduct. I think they came from sport and they're now actively being used in business. These are the things we care about. These are our red lines. If you want to be part of this tribe, this is what we need you to sign up to. Not everyone is going to want to be in the tribe or may not have the background or the sense of what a tribe looks like. So they're going to initially find this a little bit scary, uh, not something they want to do. How are you going to persuade them to become part of the tribe? Well, the reason the topic I asked to talk about was binary, celebrating difference and forging togetherness, is these are two things we have to constantly balance. Uh, and again, we might have been in teams where the focus on togetherness was so great, there was very little celebrating of the individual. Uh, we can all think of players whose individual talent wasn't liberated or or understood by a particular coach or culture in time. So these are two forces that we have to manage in check. We need to celebrate different personalities, different backgrounds, different playing styles. Okay, can I just say, when we yeah. say we need to celebrate, what does that, as a coach, how do you how do you help that happen? What does that look like? How do I know that you're celebrating me without yeah. you com, com just being, oh, well done, Ben, well done, Ben, that's great, Ben. So or is Dan, it just that? Yeah, so Dan likes to be at the ground two hours early because he likes to do his own warm-up before, before the team warm-up. Uh, I like to be there five minutes before I have to be because I don't need to do any of that. Neither of us should judge each other. If we're both there, ready to go, the time the coach wants us, how we choose to prepare. And there's some interesting feedback, I think, on 
Andy Farrell versus Joe Schmidt in this uh, in this area, where a slightly more, I think, a slightly more uh, prescriptive directional approach to things like how you get to the ground and how you do your prep have been quite changed by Andy Farrell, whose view is you're ready to go at one o'clock where I need you. I don't care what happens before. I treat you like grown-ups. So detailed things like that. I respect the individual. I respect different people have different preparation mechanisms. But when it comes time to be together, we're on parade, in the right kit, ready to go. So in the end, you're saying as a group, you need to agree where you're allowed to be different and where you're allowed to be together. Yeah. And I think the the very first part of our book is Greenwood talking about his partnership with Mike Tyndall and how totally different they were in so many ways. And Will jokes, uh, he couldn't pass and I couldn't tackle. But together, they were an amazing partnership. He talks about the fact that Will had to know every single move for every single unit. Mike didn't know the moves unless it involved him having his hands on the ball. So the difference in prep and in personality, but when it came to the important stuff, work ethic, mindset, getting the job done, they were absolutely aligned. And that, for me, was just a beautiful example of a, a partnership that was utterly different, celebrated difference but had real connectivity and togetherness to bind it together. And they won a World Cup. Great. So we'll finish there. Ben uh, won a blue for Oxford. We also played together quite a long time ago. And he also played for Harlequins. Uh, He spent over 25 years in advertising, finished up as CEO of top agency BBH, before founding the Growth House in 2019. Uh, His book, World Class, How to Lead, Learn and Grow Like a Champion, was written with Will Greenwood. We've been talking a bit about the book as we've been going through the podcast and it's now uh, out and available on all good book sites. Uh, recommend you having a, getting that book. His philosophy is I coach senior teams with big organisations and help them create high performance habits, habits that are sustainable over time, habits that create impact and drive growth, habits that depend on simple flex and flexible tools you can contact him at www.thegrowthhouse.co.uk and his email is ben fennel that's at ben.fennel at thegrowthhouse.co.uk so uh quick couple of questions to finish off with ben how old are you i'm 51 that's amazing we still play together All right what coaching book is by your bedside uh, what coaching book is by my bed? It's it's a it is a coaching book, but it's called Creativity Inc. It's about the story of Pixar. Uh, and it's absolutely magnificent. It's written by the founder Ed Catmull. It wouldn't probably present itself as a coaching book. No, that's it's, right. It's interesting. I mean, all all books in a way have some coaching in there somewhere. I think. Uh, which coach or teacher are you loving at the moment? Oh, Baz. I'm absolutely fascinated by what's going on in English cricket and the impact that Baz McCullum has created in that team. And you see them in, there's a moment where they were interviewing and they'd done that incredibly bold declaration. And they were saying, Vaughan and Atherton and were saying, yeah, but what if you'd lost? There'd have been a bit of egg on your face if you'd lost. And I can't remember who it was, but one of them was like, no, there wouldn't have been because we'd have lost trying to win. We'd have been fine. We'd have been absolutely fine. And it was this moment where Vaughan and Atherton had just never been confronted by a team so aligned and so committed to a playing philosophy. So they've gone from one win in 17 to, what, 
10 out of 11 on the test match. It's absolutely extraordinary and it's thrilling. And it's good to watch too. Which uh, team sports subject would you be love, love to coach at the moment? It could, it could be cricket. I'm very into my rowing now, actually. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm competing on the indoor, and I'm hopefully joining a club locally. and And it's it's amazing sport, brilliant for you, and good people, and 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 again, a beautiful example of difference and togetherness. Uh, who's inspired you most? Oh, uh, who has inspired me most? I lo- I mean, I love a lot of Clive's. I know Clive a little bit and a lot of what he did in 03. That was the, the England team. That so obviously- Clive Woodward. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's that's not an original pick, but I love Clive. No, no, and what would you tell your 20-year-old self to do more of? Since I did know you at 20, I can then think back. Well, the irony of getting up to about... 19 stone during lockdown was that was all the weight that I never had so I had a very short time at Quinn's and a long time at Roslyn Park and what I would tell myself at 20 was to eat more lift more weights and do less running because scrummaging was always my challenge and I just couldn't put the weight on so eat, eat and drink more I think <laughs> okay brilliant Ben thanks very much really enjoyed that absolute pleasure <laughs>